Uh, obviously, that's a very tough question, and probably the question to ask to the people who are close around me. They, 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 they maybe might know better than I, I actually do. Somehow, I think I'm a yeah, quite relaxed person, but uh, with always uh, a clear uh, goal in my mind. And he's always asking, he knows more behind the scenes stuff than I do. And I'm there, he'll send me a text midweek saying, oh, have you just seen who's moved where and who's been testing where and that someone's been driving on a cart track. And they're like, oh, what? So he's a total fan then. Yeah, yeah, total fanboy. <laughs> but that's, that's great, that's great for you. Welcome everyone to WRC Backstories, our exclusive WRC podcast presented by Bex Williams. Hello everyone, welcome again to the WRC Backstories podcast. We're up to episode three now. Hope everyone is keeping well wherever you are around the world. Stay safe and stay at home. If you're new around here, thanks for joining us. During these podcasts, we get to chat with a wealth of talent within the WRC Service Park and find out a little bit more behind the scenes with the unique personalities that make up the World Rally Championship. It's not all about the drivers here. We endeavour to introduce you to an array of characters over the course of this series. For this episode, we turn our attention to a man who had a fantastic start to the 2020 season, winning Rally Sweden and leading the championship for the very first time. His time behind the wheel of a rally car began back in 2006 with a Nissan Micra, and quite a bit before then too, as we find out. Let's meet up with Elvin Evans. So in these difficult times at the moment, getting to know people is a tad difficult. So this is the first Backstories podcast we've done remotely so far. And I'm joined by Elvin Evans this time around. We're in the same country. We're in Wales, split between north and south, really. But we are miles and miles apart. So firstly, Elvin, how are you doing in these very odd times that we're living in right now? Yeah, it's it's a bit of a strange feeling to be honest, but uh, yeah, all doing good. Thank you. And uh, the weather, as you know, is really good in Wales, like always. So uh, <laughs> we've been really lucky. This is what we try and tell everyone around the world that it it does does have sunshine most of the time, and it really does at the moment, which has been great for everyone. So we're getting to know you a little bit more, a little bit more about who you are as a person. You know what's brought you to where you are in life right now. So we're going to start by asking you if you had to describe yourself in three words and they can be completely separate to each other what words would you use to describe your character mm, it's a difficult one in three words um uh let's say uh gosh a difficult one in three um you can use more if you want let's say four if you want to go for four well it's hard to think of uh three in the first place but then <laughs> uh i don't know let's say uh determined um focused and um i don't know what the other one would be <laughs> a little bit selfish i guess oh wow to okay. a point. Yeah. I, was, I wasn't expecting that what do you mean by selfish well i don't know like uh Everything that I do in my life is sort of centered around 
you know the rallying and everything really and and like a lot of other things have to be you know sort of sacrificed for that like let's say so uh, I'm quite let's say selfish in the way that I dedicate my time let's say yeah, well, and and I suppose for any sports person, it has to be that way, really, doesn't it? To get to the top of whatever you're trying to do, I guess, in whatever walk of life, you have to have that that kind of, as as you mentioned, a selfishness. It, it you have to be the other two words you used: focused, determined to get where you want to go. Have you always been like that, though, from a very young age? Um, I think I've become more and more like that uh, throughout my my career let's say uh, I've always sort of been quite focused and, and you know never shy to to do the work but um, yeah I would say that I'm even more now uh, ready to sort of uh, let's say say no uh, a bit more often in order to to focus my time on on getting what I feel will you know deliver results. Let's take you right back now then. The young Elvin Evans. We've seen loads of pictures over the years of you as a youngster. Um, but I want to know exactly what you were like growing up. And growing up in a household which was, you know, complete rally-centric with your dad being a rally driver. That is a pretty unique circumstance. I know a lot of the drivers do have rallying somewhere in their kind of family some don't at all you know rallying is is completely new to them but you grew up in very much a rally family what was that like in the early years of Elvin Evans um yeah it was um let's say uh split really because my parents uh split quite when I was reasonably young um so dad was away quite a lot uh and like a lot of the stuff that people expect that you would do with your dad actually like my grandfather did a lot of that stuff so it was my grandfather who taught me to drive he was taking me to most of my sort of uh, motorbike trials competitions when I was a youngster uh, and then I spent you know sort of a lot of my time with uh, you know living with my mum I guess um, and, and my dad was actually away quite a lot so so yeah it was uh, let's say I, I did go away on on the rallies with uh, my uncle and, and auntie uh you know in in sort of from about uh, sort of five or six years upwards um so yeah it was uh it was all, all okay really but let's say it wasn't uh rally mad like like uh maybe people would would imagine yeah you uh, see so you mentioned going with your grandfather so it was two wheels for you first then rather than four obviously he taught you to drive but you mentioned motorbike trials yeah, I think it was just, uh, you know, what I was sort of uh, into at the time. Um, my uncle had a farm, so I would spend actually quite a lot of time with my, my grandfather, uh, um, you know, and he was always a, a sort of uh, hands-on person. He was uh, part of the of the family dealership, um, obviously, uh, before my, my father uh, took it over. So he was a mechanic. He was always very hands-on. And I spent a lot of time with him doing a lot of uh, tinkering about and building stuff and, and also a lot of motorbike trials and, and that sort of stuff. So it was a very sort of outdoorsy life, a lot of bikes as well, you know, like uh, push bikes. So, yeah, just uh, very generally outdoorsy and, and hands-on, I would say. 
we always reference, you know, when we're talking on All Live about drivers being good mechanics, you always come to the forefront and it's always you who we kind of pinpoint as being maybe the best in the service park with a spanner in his hand. I mean, how old were you when you did start tinkering about with mechanical stuff with your grandfather? Uh, probably quite quite young, I would say, um, but probably a bit more seriously. I I got given like a scrap car in in a field behind the house uh, when I was eleven, I think, uh, and it all sort of started with that. And I built sort of a a banger racing car out of it when I was about twelve, thirteen, um, and so that's where that sort of side of it really started. You know, stripping the interior and and doing all that sort of stuff. Um, so yeah, I would say around that sort of that sort of age, and then from. 13 year old onwards i started working at the, at the family dealership then it was washing cars every saturday to begin with and then i sort of spent a bit of time in every department so a little bit in the body shop a little bit in the workshop yeah. um so yeah i did just was generally um you know involved with either cars or or doing something with your hands um you know quite a lot of the time as a youngster i guess Banger racing. I love watching banger racing. I used to a lot when I was younger. My family used to take me to watch. What car did you have? What old banger did you have? It it was an old banger from the dealership. I think it was a, a, a Datsun it was. Um, <laughs> and yeah, it served me quite well. It lasted two years, which is longer than, than most banger cars last, I think. Um, but yeah, my... Uh, it was a relation of my my dad who ran the sort of banger racing and there wasn't really a category for kids but back then it was when i guess uh, before health and safety really sort of kicked in and you were allowed to sort of uh, bend the rules a little bit to take yeah. part so so it was good fun <laughs> so all this is going on then you're getting a, a grounding in in cars you're learning to drive you're going back and forth to school like we all do was Elvin Evans a good student? Were you an A-grade student at school? Were you a SWAT or not? Uh, I did all right in school in the end, but uh, the reports were generally could be, it was good, but it could have been very good if you'd have tried a bit harder. Mm. Um, I sort of come to the end of my school years and I came away with okay grades, but the reality was I hated being there and I'd had enough, but my mum really put a lot of pressure that I went to college. But actually, I really started to not do so much when I was in college then. Um, you know, when I was 16, 17, I'd sort of had enough of the whole classroom environment and I struggled with the, my view was, you know, at the time, I remember thinking like, I, I'm doing all this stuff and I'm not achieving anything. You know, I wanted to be sort of in business and and having some, sort of uh, results from my work if you like rather than just uh, studying on something I, I felt like I was never going to use so I was always bunking off college to go back to the dealership to my dad wasn't very good at using the computer and I was helping him doing the finance proposals and and all that type of stuff so I was looking for any excuse basically to to skip college uh, and it was probably a a good time of my life that I wasted, to be honest, in in college there. Um, I would have been better off probably going straight to the to the dealership. I, so there was a bit of impatience about you then. You just wanted to crack on with life, really, I guess, and work rather than get any 
degrees or whatever behind you because you know I did one three years I'm sure I could have done it in a year you spend a lot of time wasting time it feels like and I, I kind of know what you mean in that sense yeah I, I think it was a bit like that I was fed up of the the sort of education system if you like and and I just wanted to to be in the, the work environment my mum was really sort of against it or wanted me to get grades and what have you but um yeah it was a road to nowhere really to be honest because I ended up straight back in the dealership <laughs> as soon as I finished so yeah that's how it was so how did it all marry then with you actually getting into your head and getting that drive and determination to get behind the wheel and take that seriously take that as a you know potential profession when did that all start? When did you actually get behind the wheel for the first time, if if you would say professionally? Uh, probably not until I left the dealership and moved up to M Sport, uh, and that was you know quite a few years later in two thousand and thirteen. Um, so when I was um, you know rallying sort of in the in the one make series and especially in the micro, then I was sort of working as a as a regular job you know all yeah. all day. And then I would prepare the car in the evenings, um, you know, and, and have to have the car out of the workshop again by the, the next working day. Um, and it was sort of drummed into me really by by dad that, you know, don't think that you're going to be, you know, good enough to or even, you know, that you'll get the chance to be professional. So if you get the chance and, you know, you have to treat it as a hobby and and that's really how it was. But then as soon as, you know, there was more and more let's say money invested when you start when I started driving the Fiesta ST championship cars they were worth relatively quite a lot of money uh, mm. you know at the time and and then obviously you know the the preparation and 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 the attitude had to be professional but in the back of your mind you knew that at the same time you know there was no guarantee so um you know it, I was still taking it quite seriously even from let's say 2007 in my second season um but under no illusions that it would turn into something professional um it wasn't probably until you know i really started winning at the at the sort of jwrc level um but obviously then you really start to opening that it would turn into something professional but still uh, you know i was under no illusion that anything was guaranteed they having Gundaf there, and as you said, he obviously spent a lot of time rallying around the world. But you saw the success that he had. He's British rally champion. He was held in, in high accolade and he did have a work drive. And there he is telling you that, you know, it doesn't come easy. Not many get the chance. But were you thinking, well, you know, you did. You got it. So, you know, why can't I? Um, yeah, to a point. But I think, you know, I think he already saw that, you know, that, chances were much less as he was coming to the end of his career as well um you know that it had gone from you know when he was driving for seat for example i think there were six or seven teams in the wrc yeah uh, but by the time i come to start rallying in sort of 07 08 uh, you know it was the time when there was only two manufacturers in the wrc in ford and citroen yeah. so you know i think uh, you know he'd seen the difficulty in uh, sort of picking up drives and, and the opportunities late in his career and, and sort of could see a trend, I think. Um, and so could 
could see. And I think to a point, I think uh, he'll openly admit, you know, there was part of his career which he enjoyed a lot, but there was also certain situations and times that he that he said, you know, he would, uh, you know, quite happily swap it for another life as well, you know. Um, and so I think that he wanted to, to make it clear that perhaps it wasn't so such a rosy life perhaps as what it seemed on on the outside you know yeah and i i'm sure a lot of people a lot of you know potential drivers that that want to replicate what what you've done so far will look at the the world championship and think what you know what a bed of roses it is being in rallying and how fantastic it is and you travel and you do this that the other but it it is a it is can be a, a difficult life and as you said at the start you kind of you have to sacrifice things along the way to get what you want yeah for sure and even when you are there uh you know i, I can relate to to what my dad said in a way uh, now looking back you know there was years and and times where you know you would wake up and think oh do i really want to be here under this pressure and especially when things aren't going well um you know but i sort of managed to turn that around a little bit and uh, and obviously what drives your happiness or or whatever it is in the sport normally is success to be honest uh and the better that you uh, you're doing and mm. and and with better results you tend to enjoy it more and and it's a it's a fine balance but it can be a, a sort of a not so easy environment with the pressure and everything when when the results aren't coming in of course <laughs> well it's kind of a different environment for you right now because the results have been been coming in and how do you feel you you are within the world championship now do you feel comfortable there happy there right now yeah definitely very happy at the moment probably um sort of one of the let's say the the times that have given me uh you know uh most satisfaction from the sport has been in the last uh sort of 18 months or so uh i think the buzz you get from regularly winning stages and and being sort of knocking on the door on that top three then you really start to you know uh, it really starts to relieve some some pressure on one sense but then you also enjoy it a lot more so on that basis then uh, you know I'm I'm enjoying my my time in the sport at the minute that is good to hear it is good to hear now obviously you know you have your sporting life which you know we know a lot of and we'll, we'll come back to that but you obviously have your home life as well and I can't help but hear in the background you know, little voices. <laughs> you became a father two years ago, or almost two years ago now, I guess, is it? Is yeah, it? yeah it's coming, almost two years. Almost two yeah. years. And, you know, that's a, it's a massive thing for anyone, um, you know, to, to have a child. But you managed to have two twins in one go. So double trouble. That, that must have changed life completely for you and Donna. Uh, yeah. Uh, let's say there's not much... Uh, relaxing time now uh life is uh, fairly busy all the time but obviously now that you know uh it's like this you wouldn't change it for the world neither so um yeah it's been uh you know uh, something new for sure um but like i say it's uh it's it's something i i really enjoy and, and obviously it, it's a, a different dimension when you come home now to perhaps what it was before I bet it is. So, you know, are you the fun dad? Because obviously you're away a lot. So when you come back, are you the fun character? Are you, you know, the the good cop to Donna's bad cop, maybe? 
not so much actually. Um, she lets tends to let them get away with murder, and I'm the one that's normally the bad guy that has to try and keep them a little bit in line. But uh, but yeah, uh, no, it's uh, it's quite good fun. Yeah, I can imagine it is. It is really good fun. I you know moving forward in terms of you know, what you want in life and what you want to achieve. You're on, it, it seems, a, a, before all of this happened and rallies were, were postponed, a, a great golden path this year. It was a major change to take in your career, to change teams, because as you mentioned, you've been with M Sport for such a long time. Tell me about the process behind the change to Toyota. Did you feel pressure to move? Did you want to move? How difficult was a decision to make? It was a tough decision, obviously. Um, you know, when you have been with that same team, you know, the one that gave you the break initially, um, you know, and, and you've sort of, you know, I lived up there for, for three years. Um, so obviously I, I felt uh, an element of loyalty to, to M-Sport. Uh, but at the same time, uh, you know, you have to weigh up your options and, and try to you know, look at it in terms of a, a business decision, I guess, you know, and, and and the business we're in is the is the business to try and win. Um, and ultimately, we know that Toyota, um, you know, are fully, fully behind the programme. Um, you know, I don't think it's any secret that it's, it's well funded. It has, uh, you know, uh, a lot of energy behind it. And, and, and I want uh, you know, put myself in the in the best position to to try and win, and, and therefore, when they they came and approached me in the end, then uh, from a a business perspective, it, it was a a relatively uh, let's say easy decision, but uh, emotionally, it was still uh, you know tough to to leave uh, M Spot behind as such. Take everything away, then take the rallying away. What would you be doing right now if you weren't behind the wheel? Would you be then? at the dealership at home and running that? Is that what you would be doing? Is that what you wanted to do, if not behind the wheel? That was the, the plan. I was obviously uh, very much working at the dealership until I uh, came to the point where I where I left to to move to M-Sport uh, for my opportunity, let's say. So, so yeah, I was in the dealership uh, day to day and, and I struggled to see that I would be anywhere else now uh, had it not worked out in rallying. Um, and obviously I still keep uh, a sort of uh, an interest at a distance at the dealership, but uh, it's difficult to be to be there day to day when, uh, you know, there's, there's so much of my time that's taken up by, mm. by rallying. And now, of course, the family life at home that, you know, demands uh, all of your spare time, let's say. Um, so yeah, the, the dealership, my dad's having it pretty hard, to be honest, obviously having to run the ship more or less single-handedly now. Um, but I'm, I still try to, to pop by when I can. Yeah, I'm sure that he is doing the usual, oh, have you got a spare five minutes? Could you just spare me half an hour to come in and do something? Is he? This is what I imagine Gwyndaf to be like, Gelvin. Uh, to be honest, he's, he's come around to the old... Uh, computers a little bit now and uh, he's got used to them a little bit more I think uh, everybody's had to move to that sort of uh, life now let's say um, so so yeah he's uh, you know managing even a little bit better I would say than when I was 
they're in and out of school and I guess he knows to a point as well that I that I have to focus and, and give the time to, to make the most out of the opportunities I have in rallying. Uh, I think that's been clear as well, you know, in the last few years and, and obviously he's therefore not putting so much pressure to for me to spend my time at the dealership. Mm. He understands that, you know, all my energy needs to go to, to the rallying for now. Now, a lot of people around the world have been introduced to the Welsh language through you in the championship. Introduced to Wales, obviously, with with Wales Rally GB, but there's a lot of Welsh, it seems, on the WRC. Now, you speak fluent Welsh, which is something you rub into my face very often because I can't speak Welsh, even though I am Welsh. Tell me, was Welsh your first language growing up? Is that the language you learnt first? Yeah, so the language at home with my parents uh, will still be uh, in Welsh, and it's as well for for my kids now. Then, uh, to be honest, I want the a lot of their education to be uh, in English in a way, because I think you know if you want to move forward in any form of role in engineering or anything that you want to travel, I think ultimately English is the the language of the world almost now uh, but you know f- first of all I want them to to communicate in Welsh and that's how we will communicate at home uh, but I still think it's important to have a, a balance of both. Yeah absolutely it is uh, I wish I'd learned at a young age because it's such a difficult language to try and pick up now let me, let me tell you a uh, really difficult language but it's really important to, to have that here. Uh, coming back to the, the World Championship, coming back to you in the World Championship and within the service park, you know, there's a lot of, obviously, friendships, rivalries that also build up over the years. Would you say you've built strong friendships in the service park? Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, from, uh, you know, uh, engineers, from, uh, you know, technicians on the car to, uh, you know, even, uh, you know, team bosses at M-Spot, etc. Um, you know, you you work very closely and ultimately you spend a long, long time with those people. You know, we, we're on the road for essentially sort of 13, 14 weeks uh, when you consider there's, there's sort of 14 rounds and then you plus have testing on top of that. So you spend a lot of time with these people and, uh, you know, it's I think it's uh, important in a way that people do get along. I think it makes uh, everything a lot uh, easier when everybody can work together and, and get along and, and that's as much on a on a personal basis as as it is on a professional basis tell me about you in the downtime essentially after rallies when a rally is done and dusted these days i'm sure you're on the first flight home to the family um, you've got two young ones to look after that's very important but you know in the early career kind of going up partying after a rally a lot of us did it. <laughs> a lot of us still do it. Um, how important was it for you to have that kind of release after events and, you know, party so hard you potentially miss flights? Yeah, I can't say it didn't happen. Um, it did happen every now and again, but I wouldn't say I was uh, one of the worst. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was just bad when it did happen, I think. Uh, did we I, miss I, any I was... flights along the way, Helvin Evans? Mm. Yeah, I did. I did miss one or yeah, one, uh, but it was not a the best flight to miss because it was home from Mexico. Um, but uh, luckily, I had an eight-hour connection through America and managed to get on the next flight out of Mexico and still make my original second flight. So uh, I came out of it pretty lucky. But, um, 
but yeah, there was the odd party, but uh, nothing too, too wild. Nothing too wild. I want to talk to you about emotion because, you know, we've noticed from you that although you're happy when, when we've seen you win events, there maybe isn't quite the dramatic emotion that others show. And it's all, it's a personal thing, isn't it? It's, it's who you are at the end of the day. Do you feel sometimes that you, you hide the joy that you're feeling when, when you win an event, when success comes your way? Or is that just your character that you, you, you don't want to show too much or you don't feel that exuberation to, you know, scream at the top of your lungs on top of a car or cry, for example? Yeah, I'm not a bit... You know, I'm not really like that at all. Uh, I'm generally, uh, you know, uh, almost horizontal, they say at home. But, you know, I'm just uh, don't show generally too much emotion in anything that I do. Uh, to be honest, I'm just like that. So, um, you know, I guess that um, it's funny in a way when it's done, it's almost like a bit of a, a flat feeling for me. You know, the the, the joy I get is during you know when you come to the end of the stage and you win stages that for me is the 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 best feeling let's say uh when you've crossed the finish line it's almost more like a tick in the box for me so yeah i get like i've said many times the the majority of my enjoyment comes from the driving itself yeah and obviously the aim for for every single driver out there is to to be champion um, which, you know, we've seen Sebastian Ogier, Sebastian Loeb, now Oit Tanak in more recent years achieve. Uh, it's a special thing to be able to do. And will that just be a tick in the box or will that be something else for you? I don't know. We worry about it when it happens. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, I haven't given that too much thought. Of course, that's what you aim towards and that's what you work towards. Um, but in reality, we've been, you know, a decent step away from from being serious title contenders, um, and so you know, it's uh, it's important for me to to just get my head down and focus on rally by rally, and and not get too carried away about any pipe dream for for becoming champion yeah. until you can, you know, seriously start to win multiple events. So, you know, we just need to focus on what we can control now and. The rest uh, will have to just fall into place later. And of course, right now you are at home. So tell me, is Elvin Evans any good in the kitchen? Are you cooking up a feast for the family every night or is that not your ballpark at all? Uh, I wouldn't be inviting people around for a big dinner party, but let's say if I want to eat, then I have to cook. So I get by. It's a bit like that. <laughs> is there a staple dish? Is there like a fallback that you go, right, I'll just make this tonight for everyone and they'll be happy with that? Uh, not really. Uh, to be honest, not the most creative. We tend to eat the same things week in, week out. So it's like on a rotation of like five or six different meals a week and just keep having it every week. You know, it's a bit boring really, but at least it's safe and you're not going to end up with something that's inedible. <laughs> <laughs> the safe bet absolutely what I like so how are you keeping your time occupied at the moment because everyone around the world is is going through the same thing you know restricted with what we can do right now in terms of you know going out anywhere everything's closed how are you keeping yourself active how are you keeping yourself fit for one what are you up to 
Yeah, I mean, I think we're very lucky uh, that I live in, you know, the part of the world that we do. Obviously, in the UK, we're allowed out for for one form of exercise a day. Uh, and, and where I am here is pretty remote. So there's a lot of uh, possibilities for running and cycling anyway. I do a lot of mountain biking already anyway. But, um, you know, uh, I have a lot of options from from the front door so i've been getting out on the bike quite a lot making the most of the weather doing quite a lot of running um and then obviously i can still manage to do the other gym based stuff that i need to do with a with a bit of free weights and stuff here anyway so i would say that uh, actually the fitness side is is going pretty okay because the big challenge for us normally with the with the fitness side is the is the travel that gets in the way um and that the rally weeks are, are quite long and and, and intense and it's difficult to fit any any training in in that time so actually at the moment it's been good for the training because we have you know all this time available at home um so it's actually been really good for that talk to me about the welsh mafia uh, because you're surrounded by you know incredible people within wales who you know have a been alongside you um in the car or helped guide you in some way Howard Davis is a larger-than-life character in Rally, and if you don't know Howard Davis, anyone out there, then you just need to Google him, and you will <laughs> certainly see him. You know, there's Howard Davis, Phil Mills, Phil Pugh, a lot of people who are here at home, really, who you've had as a as a resource in a way. How much have the Welsh Mafia strengthened you? Do you feel as a as a competitor? Yeah, I've been really lucky to have, you know, a lot of, um, let's say, uh, people that have been successful in the past, sort of all uh, around my sort of home area, uh, and Howard and Phil Mills, Phil Pugh, obviously, they, they're they all sort of within half an hour's drive, and, and you know, they've all, in, in their own way, sort of um, contributed a, a part to to my career, if you like. Phil Pugh obviously sat with me during the the academy years uh, and then I have Andrew Edwards as well who sat with me in my early career who's now doing my my gravel crew yeah so there's a lot of uh, people who are uh, sort of still involved in in rallying in mid Wales and, and obviously a lot of them have been very successful in the past so it's uh, it's good to have a network of people like that around you that you can always sort of uh, rely on let's say for for help and and obviously for, for guidance as well yeah, it certainly is. It's always good to have people around who who you can call on. I remember you telling me uh, a story once. We were talking about um, bush mechanics <laughs> and how, you know, trying to, to fix your car using whatever you have out in the world. You were telling me a story about you and Phil, I believe, in Greece, trying to get your car back to service. Was it Greece, Acropolis Rally? Yeah, it was was Greece, yeah. yeah. Tell me that. Managed to hit the the bottom of the car. Obviously, grease was particularly rough for a little R2 car, and we managed to to sort of squash the exhaust and bend the exhaust up, um, sort of into the into the floor, and it sort of sat uh, above the the fuel tank. And on the R2, it was sort of a Kevlar guard that went round the bottom half of the tank. But this exhaust had managed to sort of wedge itself right on the top of the of the guard, and it was sat on the on the plastic fuel tank. And uh, yeah, what what essentially happened was the exhaust had melted the the plastic fuel tank, and we'd stopped for refuel. And of course, when the fuel tank was full, then it was dripping fuel onto this uh, exhaust, 
And uh, we had something like 120k road section back to, I think it was Lutraki where the, the service park was. Yeah. And uh, Phil sort of assured me, you know, if we keep going, keep airflow underneath the car, then it should be okay. So just just keep going. Don't rev the engine too much. Just keep a steady speed and we should be okay. But we were sort of halfway on this 120k road section. We both were sort of deliberating, you know, I don't think I'm going to make it all the way back without stopping for a pee. <laughs> and uh, eventually we gave in with 40k to go. And, and so we took it in turns, one with a fire extinguisher under the car, watching this fuel drip onto the exhaust and the other one taking a pee. But the issue was we were both busting by that time. So it was quite a lengthy process and uh, not the nicest one to be sat there with the, with the fire extinguisher. So, yeah, <laughs> hope not to have to do that again in a hurry. <laughs> no, but I can completely picture it in my mind right now, as I'm sure everyone can. I mean, there's so many stories, I'm sure, you know, over the years, which, which come back. And, and that one for me, and you, I think you told me that last year, it's been in my head for ages. And all of us have experienced some kind of craziness, as you do as, as part of the WRC, whether it be competing or, or doing our jobs or, or the travel element to it all. Have you got any kind of weird and wonderful things that have happened to you along the way that have stuck in your head or not? I'm sure there are, but I can't, can't think, think of them in my head now. <laughs> <laughs> no, neither, neither can I, to be honest. If someone asked me that question, I'd be like, no, can't think. Absolutely can't think. I can barely remember anything, though, and that's a bad trait of mine. My memory is absolutely dreadful. What about you? Yeah, good for some things, but uh, terrible for other things. <laughs> well, Elvin, I hope that we will see you back in action very shortly and back in action in style because it's been a, a really stellar start to the season for you with a brand new team uh, before I leave you how is it within Toyota because obviously you've gone into pretty much a, a Finnish team I know there's other nationalities within it and there's lots of different people that, that make it up but it is a Finnish team what is that like because you've got Tommy Mackinen who when I started my career as a as a journalist in rally he was winning championships then and he was like some kind of god and an idol back in the day and you know he's there now he's running the team what is that like yeah it's a it's a really nice environment to be fair they formed and and everybody seems to be you know very motivated they've obviously got a, a great package in in the car um but i think the the thing that comes through in in tommy is that he he sort of really has done well to, to sort of remember the, the pressures that he felt as a driver. And I think he really tries to, you know, make our life as easy as possible and to and to take away that pressure as much as possible. Uh, you know, he knows uh, how it feels to, to be in different situations and he tries to, to sort of relieve that, mm. that pressure on, on the driver as much as possible. And uh, it's always nice to, to have that sort of environment where, where everything is to be as as relaxed and, and easygoing as possible. So when you've won your championships and you're deciding to retire, would you ever consider running a team, starting a rally team? Considering you have had a good grounding at M Sport, you've seen how much work it takes, and now at Toyota as well, with both two previous drivers setting up incredible teams would you ever venture into that would your business brain take you into that uh, who knows i mean it's uh, it's nothing i've really thought about um 
for sure at the moment and I've got my dad screaming to to retire um, so the immediate uh, path would be back in the dealership I guess but uh, yeah who knows you never say never Oof, Elvin Evans's World Rally team I can see it now I can see it now uh, Elvin thank you very much for chatting to me I really do appreciate it thank you thank you for more great WRC content head to WRC Plus thousands of hours of archive footage from end of season reviews and onboards to features on some of the legends of WRC that is wrcplus.com the home of WRC action